Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. My name is Richard, and I'm the podcast announcer. In his sermon, A Prayer Hearing God, Jonathan Edwards wrote, Hence we may learn how highly we are privileged, in that we have the highest revealed to us who is a God that heareth prayer. The podcast aims to exhort, encourage, and explore how to enjoy that privilege to the utmost. Edwards then also says, A God who delights in mercy and is rich unto all that call upon him. Join Fred as we unpack, as you groovy young people say these days, the nurturing of our growing, biblical, dynamic, and soul-satisfying communion with God Almighty. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day. We do bless you, and we thank you for your abundant goodness to us. We thank you for the grace that comes and gives us each day. Holy God, we just bless you that we have the potential to glorify you in every word and deed and thought, Lord Jesus, that we can give all those captive over to you and not to worldly things. We do again bow before you and just praise you for your goodness and your mercies. We thank you that we have the ability to come to you every day in prayer, every moment in prayer, that we can pray without ceasing, knowing that you are a God who hears, knowing that you are a God who cares. Lord, we would present our world to you right now, and we would confess we do not know what is going on around us exactly, but we do trust in you, and we do pray with Habakkuk that no matter what happens, our trust will be in the We commit this time to you, Lord Jesus. We just pray that you would teach us, teach us from your word, teach us how to pray, teach us to pray, Lord Jesus, not just how to pray, but to pray, motivate us, move us so that we would come to you. No matter what it takes, we would come to you by faith, in praise and adoration, in worship and prayer every single day. Lord, we can't do anything without you, and we're nothing without your mercies and your grace to us. So we do thank you for that. Thank you again for talking to us through your word and teaching us. Again, we commit this time to you today so that you would be glorified, that we would know you more and more and experience that eternal life right here and right now, that we would be able to tell the nations the story of Christ in us for salvation, Christ in us for redemption, and Christ in us for the glory to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's in your name. Holy God, that we pray these things and commit them to you. Amen. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. My name is Fred, and I am the podcast host. We rejoice that our names are written in heaven, and we rejoice to be able to talk about God's Word and talk to God, rejoicing greatly in our communion with Him while we tarry and wait for His return or for our being taken to him. It's a wonderful day, and it's a wonderful day to talk over God's word. And I am glad and blessed to be back on the Sermon on the Mount talking about prayer, precisely the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, as we call it. And we are in verse 13, a verse that we have seen is full of sticky wickets. The verse 13, 613, Jesus says this, 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we have asked, why pray, lead us not into temptation, since we know that we can't help but cry out in our inner man, lead us not into temptation. But we also know that James tells us he can't lead us into temptation. He won't. But again, it's natural for us to cry out that way. And then on top of that, we activate the power of God in our efforts to live in obedience. So we do pray, lead us not into temptation. And then we ask, why pray, deliver us from evil, knowing that God does not always keep his people from evil. And we know, in fact, that he uses evil in our lives to bring about his will and glorify himself in our lives. We don't understand it, but we do know that he has his purpose and he has his ways. And every event in our lives, no matter how we perceive it, flows from him. And now we come to the second, the, to the third part of our sticky wicket. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now you'll notice, depending on what version of the Bible you have, that this phrase is in brackets. If you had the New American Standard 1977 version, it's probably in the latter versions as well, but you'll see that it's in brackets. You might have a Bible that omits it completely, or you might have a Bible that puts it in a footnote. And the reason for that is that phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power and the glory forever, amen, is not found in the earlier manuscripts of the Bible. That's what makes this a sticky wicket. It's not there. So the question that we asked earlier was, is it biblical to pray this phrase? Now, this is not the only passage in the New Testament that is in later manuscripts, but not in earlier ones. But they are in brackets when you find them, at least in most translations. But they bring up several questions. Because they're there, they bring up several questions that help us clear up the sticky wicket question. The first one is, how did it get there? The second one is, does it teach things found elsewhere in the Bible, or does it teach things that are antithetical to the Bible, against what the Bible teaches? And it kind of follows from there. Does it take away from biblical teaching? And then lastly, does it diminish the integrity of the Bible itself? And when we ask ourselves, uh, how did it get there? I'm going to answer that, that, that later. I'm going to give you my favorite thought on that in just a bit. But the next question, does it teach things that are not found in the Bible and other places? Or does it take away from biblical teaching or teach something that is not in line with the rest of Scripture? That may be the same way to say that three times. But what we're reading when we read that phrase, for thine is the kingdom, we have a doxology. We have a praise and we know from our earlier studies that doxologies of all different types litter the Bible. They're everywhere in the Old and New Testament. So the answer to that question is yes, it's consistent with what the Bible teaches. So we've answered the big questions as far as is it biblical to pray that way? Does it diminish from the Bible? It does not take away any kind of doctrine. It doesn't add any kind of foreign doctrine to the Bible either. 
And then we, so then we would go and ask, does it take away the integrity of the Bible itself? The Bible we have now, does those phrases, this phrase and other phrases like it, do they take away from the integrity of our Bible? Well, the reality is the brackets or the placement, if they put it in, if the translators choose to put it in your notes or not, these ways that the interpreters handle these things actually display the integrity of the Word of God and the desire of Christians, Christians, Christian scholars, and translators, true translators. We all want to be completely transparent about what's in the Bible, and we want to know, we want to know that we're able to trust our Bible translation. So the fact that it is put in brackets is part of that transparency saying there's some inconsistency as far as when this came when this came into the Bible, but we're not hiding that. We're not trying to keep that from anybody as far as, you know, trying to keep secrets or say that the Bible as we have it right now is something that it may not be as far as if there were a lot of stray passages like this. There's a few. And the other thing that I was thinking as I contemplated this, most of the really fantastic passages, none of those are bracketed. So it's not that anyone's sensationalized the Bible by adding things. And each bracketed or each passage that has that issue has to be looked at by itself uh, to see where it may come from. Now, in the case of this passage here, it was really interesting. What I learned in my research on this one is that scholars know about the time this got put into the Bible, that this got copied into the Bible. And it appears to be about 250 A.D. So about 250 A.D., the, the manuscripts before that, the earlier manuscripts, do not contain that phrase. The later ones at some point picked that up and it started being copied into the scriptures. Also, the other interesting thing I thought was really interesting is that no commentators before 250 AD mentioned this phrase either. Many of them do later, but nobody does before. There's nobody that teaches on this passage or comments on it that we can find or have found so far. So that would seem to indicate that some scribe or some Bible translator or some monk about 250 AD, I think the monks were around then, the translators and the scribes certainly were, but they put this phrase in, and we'll get to this in just, just a second. The other thing that I've learned in John Gill's commentary on the Bible, that this form, this phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power that that phrase itself follows similar Arabic and Hebrew prayers, the endings of those prayers. So it is constructed, probably whoever the scribe was knew some knew Arabic and Hebrew, and they were schooled in the religious writings of those times as well. So when they wrote, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, they were writing that in, in a consistent form with, with what was written earlier, even though this wasn't in the passage itself. And again, John Gill, in his commentary on the whole Bible, does cite a similar doxology that he that is found in secular or, well, religious 
settings, but not biblical, or not the Bible itself. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. So that's a a doxology that is found in other religious prayers in Arabic and in Hebrew about that time. And Gill also states, John Gill, that however we conclude our prayers, when we conclude them biblically, consistent with the Bible, and passionately, we from our hearts are not in error. So if we are praying, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, biblically, that is biblical, doxologies are biblical, Those phrase, that phraseology is biblical as well, and passionately, we truly believe that from our hearts, we're not in error, as long as we're not reciting things, again, by rote, without meaning, we're not in error when we do that. So, what I'd like to go back to now is the first question, how did it get there? Now, of course, there's no way of knowing, really, at this point, who, or how, or why that scribe inserted this little phrase into his Bible commentary. Now, they could have been doing it as just thinking, this needs an end. There might be a monk out there somewhere or a scribe who started and just thought, this needs a better ending than, than this. And so they added in this phrase that they knew, or a phrase like was used in the days of Jesus, just to finish off that prayer. But either way, that scribe or that monk, whoever started this, did not have bad, evil, or nefarious intentions. It doesn't take away anything from the Bible. It doesn't add anything that's not already there. So there's no reason to think that he had malice when he copied that in. So what I'm thinking is this. As he was writing his copy of this, the Lord's Prayer here, that as he wrote and contemplated each phrase, and being a believer, was probably caught up in how God fulfilled each of these lines, these forms of prayer, each of the lines in this form of prayer, that he just got carried away. And it was a spontaneous cry of worship. In the excitement of the moment, in the excitement of his adoration, he prayed while he was writing, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, of course, that's the way I would like to look at it. And who knows, that may be exactly right. Now, you might be saying this, especially if you're new, you might be saying this to yourself right now. Well, come on, Fred. He might think something like that, or he might say it to himself, but would he write it? And if you've been around for a while, you remember that I write out all my long prayers. I write them out by hand, and I, this you don't know specifically, I don't think I've mentioned this, but I very often get carried away by a verse or a passage, and it is natural for me to write out that exclamation of praise and adoration. It's spontaneous to my mind and my heart and my soul, but it comes out in my pen as well. So it is not at all out of the realm of possibility that a scribe somewhere about 250 AD was writing, praying while he was writing, meditating as he was writing, and he just let loose with some effusive praise, sanctified interjection, if you will, sanctified in being led by the Holy Spirit. 
And he just affirmed the glory of God when he wrote, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And in fact, even in our day, it is very common. In fact, almost, I would say, 95% of the time, Christians in the prayer groups that I belong to end their prayer with, I'm praying this in some form or another. I'm praying this in the name of Jesus. That's part of our Christian culture now, at least in my Christian culture. But I would imagine wherever you hear the podcast, whatever country you listen to this podcast in, your culture has itself traditional endings to your prayers. In group prayer, it's very often how one person knows it's okay to start praying. And I don't know if you've ever been involved in those when you start to pray and somebody starts to pray at the same time. Typically, one person gives way to another. But when we hear someone say something like, I'm praying this in the name of Jesus, at least in my culture, we know that they are finished and we can begin if we feel led to begin. And I believe, I can't help but believe this is the same wherever your Christian culture is. So knowing that this doxology, the enunciation of this doxology, is not in the older manuscripts, in no way means that ending our prayers with this or with a similar spontaneous expression is unbiblical. And of course, we've talked about this for just a second already. We've talked about this when we started the Lord's Prayer. If it's mindless, rote repetition of words, of course it's not appropriate. But any sort of doxology is glorifying to God. And the upward call of Christ in our lives certainly includes praying glory to the Father, glory in his coming kingdom, the glory of his will, the joy of knowing we are receiving from our Heavenly Father exactly what we need, what's fit for us every day, the glory of knowing God's forgiveness, the wonderful privilege to display his character and our love for him and our Savior in forgiving our enemies, and knowing that God will not lead us into sin, and we can engage his power to strengthen us to purity, and that we call out for comfort and safety in the face of everyday evil, knowing that none of the evils we face are random or pointless. And indeed, his is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and it will be for all eternity, and we will spend eternally, eternity praising him for that. So, as it turns out, this is the least sticky of the sticky wickets, at least for me. What we're going to do next is we're going to take a little break from Jesus' teaching prayer here in Matthew 7. Part of the reason is when we're dealing with evil and praying, and I'm praying for you guys, and I'm praying for people in my life uh, that are around me that are facing evil and that are discouraged, I can't help but kind of take that emotion on itself. And this was a hard set of passages for me to talk about. I would rather always be encouraging, always telling you that it's going to be okay. And it will be. But sometimes we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death 
to get to those green pastures. And that is difficult for me emotionally to talk about. So we're going to take a little break. We're going to do a couple different things before we get back to Jesus teaches prayer in Matthew. It won't be too long. But it is completely biblical to pray whatever doxology, whatever comes to your mind. So even though this isn't here in the original, doesn't mean that we're not or that we can't pray it or there's something wrong with praying it. I hope that all makes sense. I really do appreciate you listening. Now to the God of peace who brought us up from the dead, the great shepherd of all the sheep, Through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ our Lord, may he equip us in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a doxology to finish. Brethren, let's pray for one another. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. We are praying God uses this episode in some way to encourage your communion with the Holy Savior to sustain your soul. Fred wanted me to tell you he's sorry if you've tried to contact us through Facebook or Twitter. His quote to me was, I don't understand either my Facebook page or Twitter. You can still contact us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com and Instagram is still freerangeministries if you'd like to contact us there. I'm Richard Durrington and still available at durringtonr at gmail.com or visit richarddurrington.com. And until next time, we will pray for one another.